Hello and welcome to People in Profit, our weekly look at what's happening in the world of economics and business. I'm Charles Pellegrin. Coming up, we'll look at the economic impact of the war between Israel and Hamas, how it could devastate local economies, and in what circumstances, if any, it could bring the world economy into recession. And Austrians want payments to remain analog. We'll see why the European nation is fighting to keep paying for things in cash by inscribing this as a right in the Constitution. Thousands of lives have been lost in the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. Thousands of Israeli and Palestinian families now mourning their loved ones. The two million residents of the Gaza Strip are now going through one of the worst humanitarian crises forced to find shelter within a densely packed territory that's been subject to a blockade for the past 16 years. At a much smaller scale, the mobilization of over 300,000 reservists and the switch to a wartime economy will hurt Israel as well. And what could a sharp escalation of violence mean for these economies and for the wider Middle East, responsible for 32% of the world's oil production and even the rest of the world? Bloomberg Economics has attempted to calculate the effects of this war on global growth and inflation depending on different scenarios. A war that stays confined to Israel and Iran-backed Hamas could lead to a 0.1% drop in global GDP and increase inflation by the same amount. One that brings in regional Iran proxies such as Hezbollah or Syria would lower GDP by 0.3% and nudge consumer prices just a bit higher. And finally, the extreme scenario of a direct conflict between Iran and Israel would be the most dramatic of all, with global growth slowing down 1% to a recession and inflation jumping 1.2% higher. Well, to help us understand what the economic impact of this conflict could be, let's speak to Basim Snedj, who is a managing partner at Cosmos Advisors and an associate professor in geopolitics, economics and finance at Sciences Po here in Paris. Let's uh, start at a, a local level, and, and thank you for being with us. Uh, what does this conflict mean for Gaza's economy specifically? Well, um, the term Gaza economy is a bit uh, a stretch because I don't think that we can qualify this completely as a full-blown economy. It's a territory that is under siege, and the uh, main uh, engine of the economy in this territory is aid, and uh, aid coming from outside, uh, from many sources, but one of the most important sources in the late uh, uh, few years uh, past was aid actually coming from Qatar, which was uh, helping to finance the wage bill of the um, employees of the institutional structures that run the territory and also to run the fuel requirements for the energy and electricity uh, in the territory that was fueled by this by the uh, central uh, that is running on on fuel so the aid was coming from mostly qatar uh, and it was passing through um, israeli financial institutions uh, until uh, the beginning of 2023 when this aid was interrupted and recently had only started partially uh, with very small amounts as compared to previously. The other source of the Gaza economy is actually remittances and uh, wages earned by workers, scarce workers that were allowed to cross into Israel and to work in the Israeli economy 
which was delivering much higher wages than anything could be hoped for uh, working in the territory. So these two sources of um, uh, the economy uh, experienced significant uh, downgrades in the last few months before the events started. There's quite a stark contrast uh, between what's happening in Gaza and what the impact could be on the Israeli economy. Uh, one Israeli bank estimates uh, that the war and the full mobilization of uh, Israeli reservists could cost 1.5% of the nation's GDP this year. Um, how long do you think Israel can sustain, for example, a, a ground operation into Gaza? Well, the short answer to your question is quite long, because the economy in Israel is quite a resilient economy. Uh, the engines of the economy contain industrial sectors that have high-value content, especially in the um, uh, high-tech sector. Uh, and therefore, uh, yes, the uh, mobilization will cost quite a bit of uh, growth uh, uh, percentage points in, in an economy that is growing, uh, which means that although it will lose steam, it will continue Growing. Now, the economy has been experiencing significant problems before the events, and, and they you know, generated uh, demonstrations often in the streets of Israel, whereby the economy was experiencing high level of inflation and quite high level of unemployment, uh, in contrast, because a lot of the uh, sectors that were operating in the uh, Israeli economy are actually export-oriented, 50% of the exports of the Israeli economy have high-tech content in them, which means high margin. So the economy was able to run healthily with high unemployment level and with high inflation because of its ability to export high-value products. Uh, moving a bit further from the epicenter of this war, um, there is a significant risk here on oil markets. Um, but the interesting thing here is neither neither Israel nor Gaza are, are massive oil producers. So why, why is there a risk? Well, I don't know if there is a risk. Uh, the uh, oil market, I don't think, will be affected uh, significantly other than spikes of volatility and price movements that are normal, given the high anxiety level that these type of events are provoking throughout the world. But in effect, the equation of the oil market price does not lie in the uh, eastern Mediterranean and is not going to be affected significantly by this uh, conflict in between Israel and Gaza. Uh, even if the um, um, conflict becomes a little bit wider, i.e. with a proxy war with uh, Lebanon, Syria and others, I don't think that the uh, oil prices will be affected significantly at, and, and on medium term by these events. The equation lies more in the structure of the supply and demand of this global market. And right now, uh, as you know, uh, as your listeners probably heard, the uh, OPEC has been uh, acting to contain the supply and by cutting production, mainly driven by Saudi Arabia and Russia as an initiative, uh, to maintain relatively high prices of oil. Against that, uh, you have other OPEC members that are eager to uh, raise cash for their ailing economies, and they have been increasing production. Nominally, Iran is one of them. And the United States, which 
we must remind everyone, the United States today is the biggest producer of oil, right? More than Saudi Arabia by far. But the, the United States have been um, decreasing its strategic reserves to supply more oil to the market within a policy in the United States to fight inflation. So these two uh, tension points have been acting to kind of create an equilibrium on the oil price at a relatively high level in the between $75 and $85. And right now, we don't see that range coming out, although if the growth patterns in China prove to be underestimated, and I think they might be underestimated, the real story here is that if China's growth in the short term proves to be more sustained than we think, then the oil price will cross the $100 mark. So this um, this issue with oil and and the impact of or, or lack of impact, as you say, uh, of of this war on on oil prices, do you, do you not see a possibility of of this conflict leading to via oil price changes, inflation, wider inflation, and for example, keeping interest rates um, worldwide higher, and then that leading to a, a slowdown in economic growth? Um, again, I must uh, say no, because um, uh, remember, in the middle of the 2010s, 2013, 14, we had no inflation. The, actually, the biggest worry we had was deflation in the world, but oil prices were $120 a barrel, which means that the global inflation component of oil is rather mute in this context. The problem of inflation does not come only from oil and not for a significant amount. So, uh, no, I don't believe that the oil price on its own is going to affect the fundamental trend in the inflation scenario that is coming down. The inflation scenario is coming down. However, if this conflict becomes long and in, in, it creates um, psychological impacts, which are important in the world, it will put a hamper on the global growth scenario whereby confidence level will decrease and global growth uh, GDP uh, percentages will decrease. And therefore, the global demand for oil will decrease. And that will put a downward trend on the price of oil um, in a paradoxical way. Basim Snaj is an associate professor at Sciences Po and also uh, an advisor at uh, Cosmos Advisors. Uh, thank you for uh, being with us on People in Profit. Thank you. Let's change gears now and head to Austria, a place where cash is king. People there withdraw around 47 billion euros a year from ATMs. And while cashless payments are on the rise and while the EU has embraced a digital euro project, well, Austria's chancellor wants the right to pay with cash inscribed in the constitution. The initiative is aimed at reassuring a population fearful that banknotes and coins may disappear from wallets completely. Our reporters in Vienna, Vianney Laurent and Anthony Mills, sent us this report. It's just as much an Austrian institution as classical music or Viennese cafes. Cash. It still accounts for 70% of all payments here, one of the highest rates in the Eurozone. In the streets of the capital, wallets are filled to the brim with notes. That's true. So, I have 180 euros. 180. Three, four, 
I have 500 euros. If I pay by card, it's easy to see what I bought and where I'm going. The anonymity of cash is important to me. On average, Austrians have 100 euros on them. A lot of businesses don't allow payment by card, like Kurt Tichy's shop. Everyone here knows about his ice cream as well as his love for cash. It's even written on the menu. Paying cash because a society that abandons cash loses its liberty. Europe's plan to limit cash payments to 10,000 euros to combat money laundering gets him riled up. I fear that the European Union is going to continue reducing the limit and by a circuitous route make cash disappear completely. Cash is the only thing that keeps us independent from the state. To ease apprehension, the ruling Conservatives want to inscribe the right to pay in cash into the Constitution. It's important to give the population a sense of security, because even if, for the moment at the level of the European Union, no one is thinking of getting rid of cash, we don't know what will happen in five or ten years. The move is mostly symbolic, though. Experts note that cash payment is guaranteed under EU law. And that's all we have time for now. Thank you for watching People in Profit. You can watch all of our previous shows on our website, France24.com, or you can listen to them by searching for People in Profit on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on social media. In the meantime, stay tuned to France24, and thanks for watching.